what has your alarm clock wake up looked like over the last few weeks? I don't, I don't know if that's changed for you at all. For me, it's changed just a little bit. I kind of started doing something a little bit new for me, and I, I have made myself, before I even get out of bed, I'm allowed to get out of bed, the first thing that I do before I check Facebook or anything like that, is I've, I've started reading a couple chapters of, of scripture. So, so like I don't wait, I don't get anything else done before I do that, that's just kind of something, as, I've been, as we've been going through the series and as I've been thinking about that, you know, just kind of establishing that perspective much earlier on in the day than sometimes I usually do. So that's something that I've kind of put into practice. Like I don't even get up, I don't sit up or anything like that, I'm on my phone and then it you know, twists and turns and stuff and I have to hold it awkwardly because I don't put the screen lock thing on and, and I, and I do that. So I've changed that a little bit. Now, I I don't know about your alarm clock habits. I should have taken a couple screenshots of this. My wife and I have very different alarm clock habits. And I I don't remember when we discovered this. I mean, I I don't think it's been that long, but both of us use our phones to for our alarms. I don't know how many of you are are that way. We probably shouldn't. We probably should have an alarm clock somewhere else and have our phones outside the room or that kind of thing. But we, we do. We use our phones. But my wife, Renee, her, her alarm is very different. She sets one alarm, okay? So when you open up her phone and you look at the clock, there's just one time there and there's just one alarm. And if she has a different time than she needs to, she needs to wake up, she edits that one time, okay? So some of you are like, well, yeah, that, that sounds perfectly reasonable. If you look at my phone and you look at my clock, you're gonna see about like 500 different times <laughs> and different alarms. Anybody with me? Like you just, Okay, well, like if you have a time that at some point you need to wake up, you know, so like if I've had to get up super early to go to the airport or something like that, I'm pretty sure if I looked at my phone right now that I would have a 4.30 alarm, you know, just there waiting, not on, like I don't, I don't leave it on. And, and I just have, you know, it almost looks like 30 minute, you say like 30 minute increments throughout the day. Um, you know, if I ever, I don't know, it's been a long time since I've been able to take a nap. But if I've ever, ever gotten to take a nap or something like that, you know, I'll probably have like a 2.30 alarm or, you know, go pick up the kids or something like that to, to remind myself. And the other thing I do, so, so, so I ha- we have had those differences. But the other thing that I do, which is a little bit different from Renee, is she has one alarm and she sets it and she's good. Like that's all she needs. For me... I have, I set what, like four or five, like in 15 minute increments. So if I have to get up by nine, you know, I'm, I'm starting it way earlier than, than nine o'clock. And I know it's really annoying for her, but it's the only way that I can get up. Now I blame it on my thyroid. You know, I have a, I have a medical issue. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah right. Um, <clears throat> but, but that's, that's how I go. And yes, I, I hit the snooze button and I let that go. So there are some times where I've had about five alarms going off at once. And sometimes I'll forget to, you know, turn one off and I hear it when I'm in the bathroom, like going, uh, in the shower or something like that. But what, you know, what, what is your, what is your alarm clock habit? I, I don't know if you think about that. Maybe it's like an unintelligible groan, like, oh, this is terrible. Some of you are like, coffee now, you know, if you, you could, you just inject it directly into your bloodstream. Some of you are like, you hop out of bed and you are ready to seize the day and that's going to be amazing. And I just don't understand you. And I, you know, it's just one of those things, no perfect people allowed. So it's one or the other, you know, I don't know who that is, but I, I'm just not the, the kind of guy who's going to say, you know what, every morning we should be hopping out of bed saying carpe diem, you know, and just ready to just rock it. That is just not, I'm just not a morning person. Now, I, like I'll stay up all night and feel that way, but just not, not in the morning. I'm, I'm not there. But at some point, at some point, there's an opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus to move from our day or especially our work day, starting off as kind of being that, oh, 
you know, got to go join the rat race again, to, to more of an opportunity to, to be who God has created us to be and for us to join God in partnership with the creation process that he began long, long, long time, time ago, that he invites us to not only steward for him, but also partner in with building and creating and being a part of that process. We continue to do that today. And that's a, that's a perspe- perspective shift that over the last few weeks, that as we've looked through scripture, that we see like God created work. He created work for a purpose. He created work before sin ever entered into the equation. And we are made for Monday. But if work is difficult, And if the issue is you've processed things and you've examined things, and if the issue isn't that you really do need to change your job, you know, that that is the problem, is the the job itself. Because some of us, we need to to change our job. We're not in the right place. We're in a toxic work environment, whatever it is. But if the issue isn't that we need to to make a change with our job, then the type of attitude and actions that we bring to our work are going to be the difference maker. And I know that's true for me. The way that I prepare for my work the day before or a few days before, that always makes a difference in how I experience it. and work it out. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about what a biblical theology of work looks like. We recognize our work as worship. We see the ministry that we can do in and through our work that God calls us to. Last week, Dominic preached a message about the, the bringing the posture of servanthood as the way that we lead for, not just in our work, but in our entire lives. And I love that he was able to come and share that message with us. And this morning, as we close out our series, we're going to take a look at all those things and how they combine to create the proper motivation and the proper approach to our work. This past Friday afternoon, I spent a couple hours volunteering with my college alma mater with some of the students there who are looking toward a career in ministry, and it was really interesting to be reminded of some of the extremes that you face, like when you you come out of high school, you're a college student, and the the two sides of the pendulum that most of us are on when we get to that point, whether you went to college or, you know, you went straight into work or that kind of thing, you you approach it either with, you know, for me, it was this big picture idealism, like I'm going to go out, I'm going to change the world, I know everything, and I know all the reasons that there are problems with things are there, I'm going to be able to fix them, and it's going to be great, it's going to be this amazing thing. And there's, so there's that pendulum, so there's students that are kind of like in that, in that ballpark, in that camp, and then there's students over here on the, on the far side of the pendulum swing, like, I don't have a clue. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I just hope it works out in my favor some, in some way. And I don't know what kind of scale, you know, where you find yourself on that scale, and maybe you don't remember where you were on that, or maybe you're in a different place in your life. Uh, but I can tell you this, no matter where you are on that pendulum swing, and no matter where you are in your career and your work, we all need guidance and understanding and reminders and how our work fulfills its proper place in our life. And there's no better place to find it than the one who created work in the first place. And the purpose and value and meaning of our work is found in the creative process that God sent in motion from the beginning. So let me ask you this. What do you look to in your work to fulfill you the most? What are you hoping for the most out of your work? Here's what I imagine are are the things that are most of our lists. Salary, That's a a big one. I I, I hope to get paid. Well, not all of us get paid for our work. 
Salary, benefits, retirement, work environment, the company mission, the title that you receive, the responsibility that you have, the industry that you're in, the product that you produce, the service that you provide. Is it the processes? Like, do you really get into that? Or is it the metrics that you get really excited about hitting those goals and numbers? Is it the ability to practice leadership or the camaraderie that you have to be in the trenches with the people that you work with? Is it the mentoring, coaching process? Maybe there's just a really good, great coffee in your break room at work, and that's the thing that gets you going. Or maybe, like me, you thought that you were going to change the world. For most of us growing up, our worldview teaches us that these are the most important considerations. And that's probably not even an exhaustive list. Some of you probably thought of some things that I didn't put on that list. And there are many pragmatic and important reasons for that to be the case, for that to be a part of our worldview. In fact, some of those things are very godly pursuits and the way that we you know, have a perspective on those things, the way that we go, go about them. But none of those things are the most important. The most fulfilling way to approach work is when we do our work as partnership with God in his work. And for most of us, we didn't grow up in a worldview that puts that forward. I mean, for most of us, our parents, our grandparents, our peers, whatever it was, is like, well, make sure you get a good paying job, right? That's the, that's the highest ethic for our work or some other thing or do something you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life, which is completely not true at all. I don't care what it is. At some point, you're going to have to work. So many ways in which God has wired us to partner in and enjoy our work and being part of a creation and building upon the foundation that he has called us uh, to steward so many ways in which we get to experience that and apply that in our work environment when we have the right biblical perspective and theology on our work and its place in our life. A reminder from our first message in this series from Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God always had work in mind and one of the contrasts that we talked about then in that first week is that there's this, you know, very distinct difference between how God establishes work among his people and how uh, people who had other idols and gods that they served uh, looked at work. Other gods, little g gods that don't actually exist, but that we celebrate in the wor worship, you know, as part of a, a, a cultural worldview that people grow up and, and are a part of them that don't really exist, but they do create slavery and subservience to things like salary and benefits and those kinds of things, retirement that we think are going to be fulfilling to us ultimately, but then leave us empty. And yet what God does, which is completely different from all of those other things, all of those other temptations, all of those other little G gods, is he asks us to partner with him in his work and be a part of that creation process. And not only does God create us to enjoy and work with him, he creates us to be a reflection of his character and his nature in our work. And so that, that stewardship that God calls us to partner with him on in the earth to continue to be creative and to create with the same loving care, creativity, attention to detail, collaborative effort, and forethought is modeled uh, to us by, by God and what he has done. We can look in awe and wonder at the world. He invites us to be, be a part of that creation process. And so I want you to consider Jesus with me for a moment in those terms. So we know some pretty important things about Jesus. First of all, that he's the son of God. He's the Christ. He's our Lord and Savior. And so that's pretty important. Jesus was looked at by the people that lived with him during his ministry as their rabbi or as their teacher. Um, but before people called Jesus rabbi and teacher, before Jesus fulfilled his purpose through death on the cross and resurrection from the tomb, Jesus was a builder. 
I don't know if you knew that. Maybe you've heard that Jesus is a carpenter before. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is identified as a carpenter or the carpenter's son is how our translations normally translate that. And just so you know, the Greek word there doesn't need to be that specific. I think, I think it's maybe interesting to kind of glamorize Jesus a little bit more to think of him as an artisan of wood, you know, creating beautiful chairs and, you know, those types of things. But more generally speaking, Jesus was a builder. He was a construction worker. He was a contractor. He was the guy that you could call that would be able to fix things. And he would have known how to work with stone. I mean, not just, not just wood. He wasn't just building cabinets. Um, And And what's interesting about that is when people looked at Jesus, the only reason that we know that that was a part of his life and that was his job leading up to his ministry is because people looked at that as a way to kind of discredit who he was. And so when they looked at Jesus and they heard his teachings and the things that he he was putting forth in their life, they looked at him and they would say things like in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, which you can look this up in the first six uh, verses of that chapter, is that they would look at him and say, hey, isn't isn't this the construction worker? Isn't this the day labor? And what does he have to say? What, you know, what value does he have to provide to us? I mean, look at who he is. Look at what he does for a living. He can't be that important. And what he has to say about who God is, who is he to tell us how we should live and what God means for our lives? Well, here, here's the thing. The value and validity of who Jesus was and what he had to say and what he taught about God had nothing to do with what he did for a living. It was how he fulfilled his role in the creation narrative of the Heavenly Father. And this, the same is, is true about us. Yes, Jesus, Jesus is different from us. He's the Son of God, okay? He's our Lord and Savior. But the same, uh, the same reality is true for us as well. We are not identified by what we do for a living, but who God has called us to be. And so the validity and value of our work has nothing to do with the things that we normally associate with it. It has everything to do with what God gives us through that work. Don't get me wrong, there's something incredibly beautiful and holy about something being well-made and crafted. I get a great sense of accomplishment building something and stepping back from it and looking at it, and it might not be perfect, but I was like, hey, I did that. I put that thing together. I, I used the hammer and the nails myself. And whether it's something physically constructed or a constructed process or a concept, constructing something digitally, whatever it is, we all have much, you know, varied work experiences. If it's separated from the larger purpose under which God has created for us, eventually no amount of salary or benefits or 401k is going to fulfill us or be fulfilled in the work to which we've been called. So I want to just give, as we close out the series, I want to give you two characteristics that give us the right motivation and approach to our work that keeps us in sync with the work of God. The first one is this, it's eternity. First proper uh, motivation to our work is eternity. Here's what I mean by eternity, because sometimes I know when we think of it, we think of it in terms of all the things that I wish I had now and don't have now that I'll be able to have then. And so I've, finally I'll get all the things that I, that I really want now. Um, like for example, I wish I had more time and resources to go play golf a lot more often but I expect to be able to do that plenty of times in eternity. Some of you are like, that sounds like hell to me. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's a good walk spoiled. There's no way there's gonna be golf in heaven. For me, there's gonna be golf in heaven. But you know what would get really old about golf in eternity? Some of you are like, everything, <clears throat> playing by myself. And now sometimes I need that time of solitude to, to be out there, but one of the things I've ever thought, uh, always thought about when I go out and play by myself is like, this is gonna be the one time in my life that I get a hole in one. 
and there ain't going to be nobody there to witness it. And there ain't going to be nobody, anybody that's played with me, there's no way they're going to believe that I actually did it. You know, it's going to be one of those things. Okay, I, I could get, you know, even a, a blind acorn can find a squirrel every once in a while. I know I said that backwards, by the way, that was on purpose. Even some of you didn't catch it, that's okay. That desire to share the experience of our efforts with others, you know, that, that's something that we get to enjoy in, in heaven. That's, that's something that makes our, the value of our work so much more important than just getting stuff done. You know, work is always going to exist. Things are always going to exist. But it's the sharing together with others that really sets it apart and makes it of value. God could have saved himself a lot of trouble by creating the universe and leaving out human beings. You know what I mean? I mean, imagine that. Imagine all the grief that he gave himself by creating us. But he also stands to share a whole lot of joy and a whole lot of thankfulness for God's grace and his mercy in our life as well, as he wants to share the joy of life as it should be with us. Just as life is now, eternity is going to be relational. And no matter what job, profession, career, responsibility we have in our work, we are meant to do our work with eternity in mind, and that means with relationship in mind. Remember, our anchor for this series from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, I'm going to read verses 23 and 24 as they're a great complement to that as well as this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And that inheritance is eternal. It is the Lord Christ who is eternal that we are serving. When whatever we do is done in Jesus' name, it is done for the sake of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, and the good news of Jesus doesn't end. And the gospel isn't just a statement of faith that we make or something that we come and celebrate on a Sunday morning, but it's a living testimony that we profess in word and deed, including in our work. And when we approach our work in this way, there will be gospel conversations. There will be eternity-directed discussions that we have with other people. And sometimes it's going to be like, hey, why can't you come to the thing on Sunday? It's like, well, because church is a priority, because God is first in my life. And so that's what I have going on on Sunday mornings. And sometimes it's going to be, what makes you think doing that does any good? Or, hey, why don't you do what everybody else does at work? You know, be a team player. Well, because it's not ethical or it's not moral, because we're standing firm because of what we know to be true about Jesus. But sometimes it's going to be things like this. Why do you approach your work so diligently? Or how do you continue to have peace when things are so chaotic? Or for some reason, I just feel comfortable talking to you about what's happening in my home life because I know you're not going to gossip about it to other people. And you always get, have calm, directed wisdom to share when I do that. So the more that we integrate our faith with our work, the easier our contentment and our God-directed wisdom will show through so that we can give an answer for the hope that we have within us because it's an eternal one. And when directed by the gospel, we have the opportunity to show and tell the gospel through our work and invite people into that eternity with us. And that's when the conversations turns to the topic that gives our work meaning, and that's the resurrection of Jesus, that nothing that we do will ever be in vain. And that's when we participate in the eternal work that Jesus calls us to that is in conjunction with our jobs that ha happens alongside of us. I mean, the task that we've been given as followers of Jesus is to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. 
when we become followers of Jesus, when we become Christians, we acknowledge that we might have responsibilities that we fulfill through jobs, but the work to which we've been called has implications for all eternity and sharing the good news about Jesus in, at, and through our work is how we partner with God in that stewardship and in that creation process to help others to experience the joy of the work of God's creation with one another and not to ever have to be alone. Our, motivational, our motivation is eternal. And the good news of Jesus is more than enough to fulfill that eternity with one another. And so here's how we approach that godly motivation in our work. And that approach that we take with that eternal motivation in mind is integrity. More than just who we are when no one sees, integrity is a rule of life that is built on a worldview of how life should be. So when it comes to integrity in our work, we've got to take a godly perspective to challenge and correct our worldly perspective and what it means to have integrity. Here's a great example. Some of you have grown up thinking, because we live in America and America's weird about some things, that you know, for you to have integrity in work, that you never take a day off. So you show up to work sick, which you can't do anymore. You know, don't, don't do that. And nobody thought that was funny. I did not read the... Uh, Okay, we're still there. That's all right. I will move on. Um, <clears throat> some people act as if you know, taking a vacation is an act of weakness, you know, or, or, or that, that you don't value your job enough or that you're a hard worker. And in fact, like taking that rest is the best thing you can for work, best thing you can do for work productivity. Yeah, it's amazing how we'll look at stuff like that and completely defy like, the fact that you know, no data suggests at all that not taking vacation makes you a better worker. And we'll look at that and think, yeah, but if somehow, you know, this makes me better and this you know, makes more integrity, those, those kinds of things. And it's just this funky worldview. It's not biblical. It's, it's, it doesn't actually, it isn't actually helpful to anyone, anyone, but it's just a part of our culture. And it's the thing that we do when we go along with everybody else. It actually hurts what we do in our work. It hurts our work integrity as a result of that. Listen, the work will always be there, but your family won't, and your health won't, and your mental well-being won't, and I could go on, but you hopefully get the point. When I think about work integrity and ambition and goals and the things that we want to measure for success and work, I always have this verse from Paul in 1 Thessalonians in the back of my mind. I'm going to read a few verses and just to kind of establish the context in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And here's what Paul has to say to this church in Thessalonica. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You know, Paul doesn't say, hey, make sure you got a great retirement plan in your work. He doesn't say, hey, make sure you make at least six figures in the salary, right? Because that's the only way that you can really be, be happy. He doesn't say, ah, check on the benefits, you know, make sure they have health care. He says, you know what? Make it your ambition for your life to, to be a quiet one, to work with your hands, mind your own business, and, and love people more and more. Because that's, that's the goal. That's what establishes integrity in our work. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you may not be dependent on, any, on anybody. And what's the value of winning the respect of outsiders? Because it goes back to our proper motivation. 
we want the respect of outsiders so we can share Jesus with them. And that's what we care about. That's what helps us to establish integrity in our work, who Jesus is and who he's called us to be and applying that in our lives and to our, our work. How we do what we do is even more important than what we do. The caveat there is if we're doing something that goes directly against God's word, right? I, I mean, 20 years ago, I wouldn't think I would need to share that caveat, but you know, we live in a different uh, day and age. How we do what we do is even more important than what we do. There are no small jobs in the kingdom. We go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. When I was mowing yards in my neighborhood, that was my first job. I started my own landscape. You know, I had three, three yards in the neighborhood. I started my own landscaping business. There's no small jobs there. How I approach that work is just as valuable as how I approach my work today. There's no scale of, like, importance in there. All of those things are important because how we approach it is what gives us the opportunity to share eternity with other people. And this was the problem the nation of Israel had faced when their religious observances were not translating to the results that they wanted to see for themselves. And it was because they did not correctly connect integrity and living out of who God had called them to be with their religious work and practice. And when we divorce the two as they're meant to be one, we miss out on the same. So let me, let me read you this passage from Isaiah chapter 58. And here's the nation of Israel speaking to God. They say, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? God says this, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Skip down to verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Sometimes because we're, again, we, we talked about this, work is going to take up at least a third, about a third of our lives. And sometimes we think work is about work, but it's about something much bigger. And sometimes our job is just the way that we can resource what God has really called us to do and to be. And here's what people need in the workplace. When it comes to integrity, this is what it looks like from people who are Christians. Hard work. Man, Christians, we shouldn't be lazy at anything that we do. We should have integrity in our work and, and work hard. At, that doesn't mean we don't take vacation. It means we work hard, we rest well in, in part of that. But whether it's our involvement in church and the way that we volunteer and serve as God has called us to within the congregation, whether it's the place that we earn money for our jobs, we should be doing our best as if it's for God, Colossians 3:17. And we should have hope in our work, in the way that we, we approach it with other people. And we should be encouragers in our work. That's part of the integrity that we have. We should provide friendship for other people in our work. We should be serving other people. And we should have generosity in our work in the way that we approach other people. This is what godly integrity looks like. And this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but it's meant to be a starting point for us. And this, through the work of the Holy Spirit, Guiding and helping us establishes the hope, expectation, and partnership that God desires for us. And godly work integrity puts into practice the anticipation of a fulfilled eternity that God has promised to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so as we kind of close out this series on this theology of work, let me just say a prayer for us as a congregation 
and how we approach our work and, and so that we might see maybe, maybe you have this perspective and it's been a great reminder for you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard something like this and what God calls us into. And I, I, just wanna, I just want us to be able to see a brand new way of looking at our Mondays and so we can see how invaluable who God has called us to be, um, what, what that is for our eternity, for the eternity of those around us and how we, how we approach our lives as a whole. So let me, let me pray for that. God, we ask for a renewed heart and perspective on the theology of our work and our understanding of why you created us for work, how that's a part of your plan for eternity, that, that purpose and value and meaning in what we do and what we accomplish is something that you've always meant for us to experience. But God, help us to see how it's been broken by the world around us, how you know, sometimes the perspective turns to um, you know, more results-based in what we receive out of our work rather than maybe some of the things that we produce that you have called us into. And so God, we ask you to, uh, through your Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us to, to look at our Mondays, to look at our work week, maybe in a, in a brand new way, or to be reminded, you know, if our work is not um, fulfilling us in the way that we, we wish that it, that it would, that, that you, have a, you have a whole different perspective on what it's meant to do. And that ultimately, that work doesn't rely on us, but it's totally fulfilled in who you are and what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. God, we thank you for that grace and we thank you for that mercy. And we praise you for it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.